0: Happy GDC, everybody. It's Todd Mitchell, and you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast. Our second guest of GDC Week is Mr. Kale Hitala, who is the CTO and co founder of Next Games, and he gets to work with some really incredible intellectual property. I'm going to let you get it from him, and I think you're really going to like it. Here's my chat with Kale. Okay, I am ready if you are ready. Yeah, sure. Shoot me. Okay, Kali Hitola of a CTO and co-founder of Next Games. How are you doing? Great. How are you? I am, I'm just fine, really enjoying GDC. Uh, I know that I get to enjoy it a little more than you do because you're very busy. But uh, how's the experience training you so far? Very well,
1: actually. It's really interesting to see all the sort of uh, industry uh, peers and talk with people from different companies. And, of course, there's tons of meetings and tons of interesting things going on. So, yeah.
0: Absolutely. It's a great experience. Uh, I, I want to start by saying congratulations on the success of uh, Next Games and especially things like The Walking Dead, No Man's Land. Uh, you guys have licenses to do tie-in games for The Walking Dead. Obviously, that's huge. Um, and beyond that, you've taken taken that license and turned it into just millions and millions of uh, players' reach. So uh, how's it going right now?
1: Well, firstly, thank you. Um, it's it's do, doing, doing great. Uh, we sort of feel really happy to be able to work with such big licenses uh, or IP yeah. uh, like The Walking Dead, of course it's, it was a really, really a great chance for us um, in order to get that license like we got really lucky on that one of yeah. course it's hard work uh, but um, yeah, it's very interesting to work with it and uh, how we can inc- incorporate the whole uh, IP into a game is, is something that is, is truly fun
0: and since you launched No Man's Land, uh, there's been one more Walking Dead title come out since then?
1: Uh, it's coming out. So oh, coming we out? have The Walking Dead, um, our world is coming out now. It um, should be launched uh, within this half of the year. But cool. that's just, it's currently in soft launch, so we'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, we're really, really looking forward to it.
0: And that's going to be sort of an augmented reality experience? Yeah, it's, it's
1: augmented reality and location-based. So Cool think about walking around chasing t- zombies on the street. streets being able to see them do augmented reality actually putting them in the
0: scene awesome and uh, tell me what, what did your career look like before Next Games because you've been around for uh, what 15 plus years in the industry now well,
1: yeah. Well, in tech industry, uh, but sure. not, not in gaming industry. I'm I'm actually a bit of an oddball for the founders of the next games because I'm the only one who didn't have uh, exactly any industry experience from gaming side of things. Ah. But I've been uh, working with the within the IT and tech industry for oh, God, it's it's gonna be twenty years this year. Wow. Well, okay. So um, started off straight up from high school, uh, become an entrepreneur with all this you know um uh, hype around uh, around new media before the millennium and uh had my first startup there and then i moved forward with the as i sold that one and I started a new one i think this is my fifth company that i'm working now wow. with so um so so sort of like a long way getting here but we with like. In the end of the day, when you when you're talking about, um, as my focus has been mostly on the server side of things. If you think about like any service uh, that you create, uh, is it a game or is it is it let's say a video on demand service or anything like that 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 I used to work with? Um, there aren't that much of difference um, on how they're built and what kind of technologies you need to use them because it's all about being able to serve content, being able to store the player or store any information and being able to scale that back end sure of course being a sort of the other side has been a great learning experience for me is is the client side of things and uh, everything related to that although it wasn't like new to me because I've been tinkering with games uh, ever since I was five years old so um, been doing them on my spare time so it wasn't like completely out of the blue
0: sure absolutely and but it is an awesome experience to take that sort of passion and turn it into i mean the kind of numbers you're seeing with like the no man's land project what are the, the going numbers right now you guys are just have uh, just scores and scores of uh, players
1: yeah we, we host around half a million daily active users so it's quite a big portion of players coming into the game each and every day and um, of course it takes some challenge to host those players on yeah. our servers because we're pretty hev- server heavy as our architecture is built that way um, but yeah and then there's great community that we are constantly talking with. Uh, we have great game masters who are like, interacting with the uh, game community on a daily basis. We create them events, and we have all sorts of content that is uh, really related to the show and how the show is progressing. So yeah. Sure,
0: and obviously it helps to have that, that Walking Dead license, but the game's been around long enough now that if it wasn't fun on its own two feet, uh, it, it would have not done well uh, the way it's doing now so it's it's gained a lot of traction and I think it it shows that the game itself is uh, very well done and i I wonder uh, tell me a little bit about the technology under the game like what what does it look like to uh, make no man's uh, no man's land run
1: well firstly, we use unity as our game engine. Um, okay. And um, that's probably the main entry point for the technology thing side. Of course, it makes our life a whole lot easier when we don't have to focus on creating our own game engine and worrying about how do we handle assets and things like that. Sure. Um, instead, we can just rely on, on the technology that Unity is providing. And secondly, we have built the whole game um, in a data-driven way. So every value you have in the game, every... Uh, economy value do you have within the game is all driven through uh, data so we can tweak any of those values which is very important to make sure that we can maintain the game for a long time right. because you need to make uh, be pretty sure that it's in balance so the players don't feel that the game is unfair to them right. and secondly uh, we built everything uh, on, the, on the server side we built on top of uh, Azure um, that gave, gave us great tools in order to run the game, and, and and as we wanted to be able to run the same game logic on client and server, um, uh, Azure was a quite a uh, pick for us because uh, on Unity you you write the code on C sharp, and natively, and if you want to run C sharp on any platform, you know Windows platform is the best solution for there.
0: Sure. Now, hearing a little bit about your background, it makes me wonder if. Um, The choice to go with Azure was in large part your decision because you had sort of brought a background from outside games at a time when um, gaming wasn't doing as much with Azure, I I don't think. So was was that kind of something you brought to the table and said, why don't we do this? Well, yeah, it
1: was mainly it was another founder, um, Jakub who was our sort of like technical guy on the client side, and together we discussed it, like how how we want to do it and what would be the best solution for us. And it all sort of started from the idea that firstly, if we want to make sure that our games are fair to the players, um, we have to prevent cheating. That was sort yeah. first first idea that we had there. So then we just start thinking about okay, if we want to prevent cheating, how do you achieve that? Well the first thing you need to do is never trust the client because you can never, can never trust the information that the device itself is sending because it's relatively easy to boost the information. So you, you can mm-hmm. just change it by doing a man-in-the-middle attack or whatever tools you want to use or just cracking open the uh, APK on Android and just creating a custom game, basically. Yeah. So so that was one of the steps. And then, and then from there, we thought, okay, if, if we don't trust the client, we will have to have a mechanism where we... Run the game logic on the, on the also on the server side um, in a deterministic way, so we can have a smooth experience. But at the same time, um, validate everything that happens on the server side. And if something doesn't match up on the server side, we need to be able to just tell the client that you need to reload your state and start start over from your last save, basically. <laughs> so we created that s- system by running the same logic in a deterministic way on, on, on the client and server. So the server is always the authoritative side of things. So that came to us to a conclusion, like, okay, then if we do that, we need to actually run C sharp code uh, on the server side, on, on, on which cloud provider would we then run it. And it was 2013, our options were quite limited, you had the usual suspects, like AWS was, was very much just um, serving virtual machines, really mm-hmm. raw kind of services. Um, Google Cloud was hardly existing. They had App Engine. It was very limited. Yeah. And, and and Microsoft then, they had a like a sort of, to me, it felt like if if, if AWS was the version 1.0 of cloud providers, like um, Microsoft felt like at least like a 1.5 or version right. 2 yeah. because they had a lot of managed services. And that also fit very well in our philosophy how we want to run the games is that we have want to use as much managed services as we can. And of course, with that, uh, that we can run on Windows. And back uh, back then, there was no option running, um, no no reasonable options running the C sharp code on Linux. So, uh, if we wanted the best performance, so Windows servers made a whole lot of sense. And cloud services back in the day, that was just perfect solution for us. Mm-hmm. And in addition to this cheat prevention, also doing this way uh, the code, we were actually able to reduce the work amount that we need to do. Because the same code was running on the server side, so you didn't need to do a specific server side validation code because you were just using the exact same bits of code mm-hmm. on both sides of the fence, basically.
0: Sure, well, it's extremely cool. You guys got to sort of um, help help blaze a trail uh, for other game studios, and I think from what it sounds like, that's part of what you're bringing to GDC this year. You're uh, you're having a presentation uh, tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, in uh, Room 2009, West Hall, uh, 2 p.m. to 3 p.m., it looks like, from my notes, called How to Run Massively Scaling Mobile Games on Micro- Microsoft Azure. So uh, give us sort of the highlights that you're going to present to people tomorrow.
1: Well, it's, it's it's a lot about the lessons we learned mm-hmm. um, around how to run it and the problems we faced and um, how did we overcome them and then, like, what are the cornerstones that we are using um, with our technology, so it's it's a it's well really, really sort of like lessons learned type of uh, lecture.
0: Awesome. What what's an example of something that uh, you guys wish you had known back then that you're trying to sort of uh, uh, fill people in on now?
1: Well, uh, I would say well th- th- there's some easy ones to pick. Um, for example, some of the ways that C sharp works on on Unity doesn't always work the same way on 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 Windows or uh, on a real uh, c sharp uh, machine sure so we easily quite quickly, quickly we found out, which is like now obvious, but for a while we thought it could work with like float numbers obviously don't work the same uh, same way, mm-hmm. or then you know if you have a list because the string hashing is different, you might have within a list you have items in a different location, and when you have deterministic model where the model should be in exactly the same representation of data on both side of uh, on client and server. Um, if you have an item on a list in a separate, uh, in a different order, that will mess things up eventually. Mm. But it takes some time to figure it out. Yeah. So we would have had some nights more sleep if we wouldn't know that before.
0: <laughs> it, it makes good sense, and nothing is worse than a, a little discrete problem like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we we spoke with uh, James Gwartzman of PlayFab yesterday, and we we sort of got to speaking about um, the challenges of smaller teams transforming their uh one and done game launch uh projects into more of a games as a service model uh sort of trying to enhance the longevity of their projects for players and things like that um what what sort of um do you think this is more approachable now for small teams to tackle with with sort of the maturity of these tools that are available is it is it a, a much easier uh lower barrier of entry for a small team now well yes and no of
1: course, like, the tools are great and they help a lot, but it's yeah. still about, like, um, I think one of the fundamental problems there or the biggest problems to solve is, is the fact that you need to actually be really careful with your uh, data data design and data engineering, how, how you're going to structure data for, for future. Because uh, when you're developing a game, you often structure your data in a way that it's easy to develop. So all your, so, so let's say, your game economy data or any any kind of configuration you're very focused on making sure that it works while you're doing development. But it might be that as, as you're creating the structure for the data, doing the development, it's it, it's increasingly hard to actually run live games on top of that. Yeah. You might end up in a situation where you have actually put all the data in one file, for example. And then if you think about the situation that you need, would need to actually serve that file over the server uh, to the client and, and, and into the game servers, to make a change or uh, present a new event or a new bundle to buy or something like that. And you end up like doing a change on a file that includes everything. Well, How do you know that somebody else is not tinkering the file at the same time? uh, Or uh, how do you know you don't accidentally change something that you shouldn't be changing? Mm -hmm. It becomes a bit more riskier. So then from design perspective, it would be better to start designing those file structures and that content structure. All the way from the very beginning of the product to understand like how do you can ru- run the live game in the first place, and what are the f- things that you want to change in the live game what, what kind of events can you can, gonna be running what kind of you know offerings or do you have anything else that you want to change in the live game um, pretty early on but that might also make your development a bit harder so but with tools it's 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 obviously now easier to cover that content and the, the, that information, but it becomes harder and harder as the requirements um, Increase. So if you think about how much things are changing or how much live content these days games do have, it's just increasing amount of things that you should be able to switch on a fly without actually hopefully even having a need to provide a new client to App Store. (laughs) So it's it's, it's a lot about uh, creating dynamic content into the game, so you need to do a lot of design around that. Tools, of course, like take the pain of actually delivering that data away from there, but they are still the actual work of figuring out how to do it within the game.
0: It sounds like there's a lot of a um, change of mindset that has to happen very early on. Yeah. Uh, and and that that does seem that resonates with me because I think for smaller teams that is probably maybe one of the biggest pain points is thinking far enough into the future. I mean, um how was the experience of um scaling up for you guys as as you launched games like uh No Man's Land? I mean, were you pretty well prepared for it or were there surprises? I mean,
1: well, uh, yeah. Of course, there's always surprises when when you're launching games, but we were sure. pretty pretty well prepared on on technical side of things, so so that worked pretty well. But of course, like then, um, if you think about just the organizational level, you you easily think that you have all the necessary people in order to run a live game, but it, pretty quickly you can find out that you're actually missing some points and or or, or the designer that you uh, used is actually now from so focused on on new features that it. It might be hard to focus on on live operations and things like that. You might re- realize that there would be a need for uh, all sorts of new kind of positions <laughs> just to run the live operations side of things. It's it's very interesting sort of times, in that sense.
0: Mm-hmm. And what is the uh, what has the next games group looked like? Uh, between then and now, have you guys grown quite a bit? Or
1: yeah, we, we, we are well like we were. I think when we launched No Man's Land two years ago, we were around 40 to 50 people. Mm-hmm. Now we're 120. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've we're grown quite a quite a bit. And it makes sense, in a sense, because we're working now with The Walking Dead, our world. Mm-hmm. We're also working with the game based on Blade Runner. Okay, the cool. Moon franchise. And then we're also working with two other games that we yet haven't been announced. So we're basically now currently developing simultaneously four games in different phases so and one live game so
0: gotcha so when you set these games up in a smart way do you find that it's a lot easier to sort of maintain the uh you mentioned sort of live ops and uh things like that is is that something you guys planned way back when or have you guys sort of had to change the configuration so that you could sort of uh change things on the fly i don't know how frequently you will put out a full-on update for example
1: well for for the updates uh, we do a on No Land, we tend to do updates, like, every month almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, or sometimes we do, do them faster, sometimes we do them slower. But on average, it's a month to two months, somewhere in there, uh, depending on how big of a feature we're creating in the game or how much, actually, we're planning to put in that release. We try to think, like, it would be best to have, like, small releases as often as possible. But that, that does have, a, like, a, a side effect of, as we have a big game, it's, I think it, the download side is around 300 megabytes, so if if the users need to download that 300 megabytes too often, there's there's a chance that they turn from the game because they just, just don't want to keep on updating and their sure. data data plans and things like that, yeah. and 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 especially in the US, you know, have you, compared to Finnish um, uh, data plans, they, they're way, way more stricter here in US. Yeah. So. Um, so that's one thing to take in consideration, and and it has been evolved in in, in live operation way. Because earlier on, we weren't able to be running multiple game versions uh, concurrently. Mm-hmm. Um, these days, uh, on No Man's Land, we can run like the older version and the latest version uh, in parallel. So, oh, that's so users don't have to actually update into the latest client. Some of the features will uh, shut down if it's necessary. So you might see in guild chat you might see that hey in order to continue using the guild chat you need to upgrade in the latest version or or in order to play something you need to upgrade to the latest version but you could still play. Um, and sometimes they're can even run in parallel and there's nothing that you cannot do while still running on an older version. So but that was a big technical thing to do in order to do that. So we can now update more often and not be afraid of people journeying because they need to download they can take their time they can they, you know they have their weekends when they're home they have wi-fi they have a better possibility to do the update than just being dictated by us when they need to do it
0: that's extremely cool that you can run the different versions i never, never really thought about that but i could see the need for that
1: yeah but it does also bring a lot of problems I can imagine. Yeah. Because if you think about content and content versioning and, and which content is compatible with, with which version and how do you handle that, it becomes quite a jungle. <laughs> uh,
0: speaking of uh, sort of unexpected, well, first let me ask you this. Uh, when you were planning the sort of data you wanted to capture so you could really uh, keep a sense of the players and what was going on, what's working, what's not working. When you when the the game just exploded like this and brought in all these millions of players, does it seem a little bit overwhelming now trying to uh, determine where to look and and how to interpret things at that scale? Yeah, of course. Sometimes
1: it's hard to sort of understand what's the underlying motive of players, why they're doing something or why what something is working better than the other things. So we do a lot of like A/B testing, yeah, to figure it out. But that's, it's always as as the game is, has also evolved into a quite large. Uh, uh, entity and there's a lot of things changing. It's sometimes really hard to s- just to change a very specific thing in the game, so you could e- more easily measure it uh, through an A/B testing. So often what happens or, uh, is that you try to change just one thing, but I, uh, accidentally you actually change two things, and then when you start to figure out what was the cause of uh, of the change of behavior. Um, You might end up drawing a plank because you don't know what was it the was it the intentional thing that you did or unintentional thing that you accidentally did. Yeah. So that that makes hard. And of course, like understanding players. Of course, it it helps that you have a lot of players because you have the vocal players also among them, and you have Mm -hmm. a way of talking to them. So we use our support team is sort of like our voice with with our players. They are very interactive with them, and they talk a lot of a lot of with them. We have like special special groups and even slack centers with some of our players in order to be able to talk and understand how they feel with the player we have invited some of the top guilds to visit our offices and just give us feedback and cool uh, and things like that
0: yeah do you, do you find that those more vocal players are a pretty good representation of the rest of the player base or sometimes well, sometimes not <laughs> sometimes not you know it, it,
1: well it's the same thing in life and usual uh, you know you have, you go in a meeting you have a vocal vocal people in there will they represent the uh, consciousness of the, uh, the meaning or not yeah. remains to be determined. Of course you have to have like, a way of also asking from those who are not really that vocal mm-hmm. uh, and to make sure that their voice is also heard.
0: And uh, j- sort of just for fun, tell me it—it's got to be very cool working working on a licensed property like this. But uh, is it—is it challenging? I mean, do you find yourself spending a lot of extra time making sure that you guys are uh, working well and, and keeping your uh, your brand happy and, and everything like this, or is it not as big a deal? It's—it's it's not a, not not that
1: big of a deal. We have a very good relationship with with the brand holders, so. Uh of course it would. If, if there would be a difficulty on that area it would make things a whole lot more difficult but as we are very close to AMC that the host plant brand it is sort of like a very easy going and then as we develop the game I think uh, all parties saw that we really sort of understand the brand and how we work with it and we did a lot of work around it and we always do a lot of work with different brands in order to understand and we sort of start very early on to develop the idea of uh, not only like what gameplay would would fit this brand, but more like talking with them, talking internally, having workshops, uh, figuring out like what really speaks to the uh, fans of that brand. So we always start the idea how we work with, with brands from the fans and how the fans would see the world to become alive and what they would see to be ide- uh, uh, ideal for uh, uh, for a gameplay within sort of how they would win re- a gameplay would represent the 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 brand and the all the world of the brand. Mm-hmm. So it all starts from fans and then as as it sort of as this is our philosophy how we work, it, it makes also living with the brand holders so much easier because they know that we sort of really understand the internals of, of the of the brand.
0: Cool. And and were they sort of excited about the idea of jumping into new sort of uncharted territory like augmented reality games or is it more of a yeah like, eh, we're sort of nervous, you know?
1: I think everybody's super excited about yeah. augmented reality and how cool it is. And then it just, you know, every time you show it to somebody, that just brings a smile on their face. So I think it just tells a lot about the potential and how much fun it is.
0: Yeah. Well, it's extremely cool. Uh, we're running close on time, uh, I would encourage everybody who is at GDC to make sure they check out the How to Run Massively Scaling Mobile Games on Microsoft Azure presentation. Again, that's in uh, room 2009 West Hall tomorrow, 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. And uh, Kali, thank you so much for this. This is, I think, really going to uh, entertain a lot of people. And I certainly wish you guys the best of luck with the new game and uh, the existing projects as well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Absolutely. My pleasure. thanks again to our guest Kale he was really great to talk to I really encourage everybody to check him out if you enjoy the Game Dev Breakdown podcast you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM it goes on and on check us out on social media reach out let us know you're enjoying it hit us up with your questions and uh, we will continue to bring you new stuff all week here at GDC so thanks everybody for my guest Kale Hitula, and for Codewriteplay.com my name's Todd Mitchell we'll talk to you real soon